Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Everybody say renovate. Renovate. Um, the key to this whole series is really Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that says this. It says, therefore, do not conform to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to prove what is God's good and pleasing and perfect. Can we get that scripture up on the screen, please? That's such a powerful scripture. He said, don't be like everybody else. Don't conform to this world. The reason why this scripture is so important, especially right now, is because what I know about you is that you want this year to be better than last year. And what you don't want to do is just to kind of get into a rut, which is, is just a a grave with the ends kicked out. You don't want to get into a rut where you just live the same year after year after year. You don't want to be the person you hate this. You get so frustrated with this to, to make the same mistakes over and over and over, to cycle through the same relationships over and over and over, to, to constantly bump up against the same temptations and sins over and over. It gets annoying after a while. Then, you know, uh, uh, some of the times what we do is we fall into a trap of trying to have behavior modification. Well, if I just change some things that I do and then that, that'll help and there's some truth to that, but what Paul said was, is that the key to a transformed life was not behavior modification. The key to a transformed life was a renewed mind. And that if you would literally, or, or what Paul said when he said renew your mind, it's the same word that we would use as renovate, that we would literally go into our brains and start to dig up things, start to, you know, uncover some things that realize that all of us have these beliefs that drive our behavior. Many of them conscious, but I think maybe most of them subconscious. Stuff that we're not really uh, thinking about at the time. It's not the forefront of our mind. But man, it's driving some of our decisions. It's driving some of our behaviors. And so Paul said, you've got to go in. If you really want to live a transformed life, if you want to be on an upward trajectory, if you want to experience God's best, you've got to have a transformed life that comes by renewing the mind. Taking out the old and putting in something new and something different. And so that's how you get a transformed life. Last week, if you weren't here, really need to go watch the message because the, the, the transforming belief or thought that you need to have so rooted in your heart is something that will just change the way that you look at the world around you. It'll change the way you look at people, the way you see them, and especially the way that you treat them. And it's that. It's that every person that you have ever laid your eyeballs on is a person for whom Christ died. Now, when the checkout counter girl is slow or the in and out girl messes up your order at the, or the guy, I had this recently, or the guy at the mechanic shop starts trying to sell you a flux capacitor, starts to tell you something's, you're like, wait a minute, this guy's trying to get over on me. There's no such thing as undercoating. Maybe there is. I don't even know. That's my problem. But my point is, is that when you interact with people, you're so, you're so quick to be maybe, um, rude or, or, or frustrated or angry or get, get upset or that guy, that girl that cuts you off in traffic. What you didn't know, what you didn't know is this, is that person was so valuable in the eyes of your heavenly father that he sent himself into the world to die on their behalf. So I'm not saying that there's never conflict or there's never argument. I'm just telling you that you do so with the utmost of respect, with caution, with carefulness, with thoughtfulness, that every person is made in the image and likeness of God. I need to be, I need to be careful. Hey, husbands, when you talk to your wife, you need to know it's not just your wife. Ladies, that's not just your husband. That is a person for whom Christ died. And when that becomes the belief that you are so utterly convinced of, it begins to drive your decisions. 
if it's at the forefront of your mind, if you've renewed and renovated your brain. And so today is, is another one. It's another belief that I think that if you will adopt this belief, that you will rip out the old, put in this new thought, and make it the forefront of you, I'm telling you, you will have a healthy soul. And it's found in this parable that Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 18. So if you have your Bible, join me as we jump into this incredible parable, this incredible story. If you don't know this, Jesus was a rabbi. They taught in parables. It was a way for them to re- help you remember stories. Because again, it's hard for you to remember anything that I say. But every once in a while I tell you a story, you remember the story. I literally, I preached a, a youth camp uh, 15 years ago. Ran into the girl just a couple years ago. And she goes, you know what I remember? And she reminds me of a story. I'm like, that's the only thing you got out of it. Great. So that's why Jesus told stories and he would begin his stories with something like this. The kingdom of heaven is like, and so what he's trying to show you is when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's basically saying this, this is what your life would look like if you lived in the dominion of the king. This is what it would look like if you lived underneath God's rule and reign in your life. And this is incredible. So watch this. Jesus is telling a parable. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. Now, again, it's just a story. Did it really happen? No, it's just, it's just meant to teach you something. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents. Everybody say talents. Now, we don't have talents. Uh, we have Benjamins. Um, talent was a, like a bag of gold. That'll help you figure that out. Bag, just think bag of gold. So 10,000 bags of gold. And this guy owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since the guy was not able to pay, well, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Everybody say debt. There's a debt you, you owe. Somebody owes. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. And the whole crowd went, oh, what? That guy owed him, owed him 10,000 bags of gold? And he just, can you imagine if Visa called you and said, hey, you know what you, you, know, you, know what you owe. I hit delete. You owe nothing. <gasps> Incredible. But, everybody say but. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Everybody say denarii. Again, we don't have denarii. We have George Washington's. Like a denarii is one day's wage, right? That's what they used to pay a Roman soldier one day of of work. And so that was kind of a common thing, one day's wage. So you had a hundred denarii or what was that? A few hundred bucks? We'll go with a few hundred bucks. So maybe a little bit more. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Well, that's rude. That's just not how you win friends and influence people. Um, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, saying, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt, which makes no sense to me because how is he going to pay you back if he's in prison? That's stupid. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were so greatly distressed, they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant back in. You wicked servant, he said. 
I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just like I had on you? And in his anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he paid back all that he owed. And this is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. To which the end of the story, we're like, dang. It is a story of hyperbole. It is a story of extremes when you think about how much the people owed and how much what, what, what is all going on. But I want you to see this simple thought as you walk away from the story. It is simply a story about a man who was offered forgiveness and found freedom, but wasn't willing to forgive somebody else and wound up back in a prison. Let me say it again. It's a story about a man who was forgiven and found freedom, but would not offer forgiveness and wound up back in a prison. And you got to remember, it's a parable. It's a metaphor. It has all these types and shadows and symbols and hiddenness. And the goal of any parable is to figure out who am I in the story. And we see that the master clearly is this God figure. And then you have these two servants going on here, one that owed and was forgiven. And then one that owed, he wasn't forgiven. And then, and it's, again, it's a story about a man who ended up back in prison. And, and the big walk away, if you're taking notes is this, the revolutionary transformational thought or belief that I want you to adopt that Jesus clearly teaches in many places throughout scripture is simply this, is that forgiveness is freedom. You have to buy into this. You have to believe this. You have to adopt this. You have to absorb this into every fiber of your being. And, and, and it's so important that you do it right now. Now, because many of you are not offended at this moment, but here's what I know about life. Uh, you'll be offended soon enough. So, and, and I talked to somebody like this not too long ago that said, my life had been so good and so blessed, I feel like I hadn't run up in anything in such a long time, that now this has hit my life, I'm having a hard time, it was like I wasn't prepared for this, and so I'm telling you, this is, you might not be offended right now, you definitely need to be opening up your heart and listening to this, because you've got to get this deep down into your soul, you've got to get this renovated into your mind to where this is the forefront, this is the way I feel about it, this is, this is the way I think about it. As soon as somebody offends me, I almost get into a panic thinking, oh, dear God, I need to forgive them right away. I got to get the, I've, you ever played hot potato? I feel like forgiveness for me, because I adopted this belief somewhat accidentally, but I somehow did it. I, I feel like an offense is like hot potato. I'm trying to get rid of it as quick as I possibly can. I'm like, get that off me. You ladies, you ever had a spider on you? There's a story of a, of one of our children's workers that had a spider on her and, and I don't want to tell you, but like clothes are flying off because you're like, get this thing off of me. And what I think you want to do is consider hurt and offense like a hot potato, like, like a spider. Like, ah, I got to get that off. Now, some of y'all are weird and you like spiders. You need counseling for other reasons. But I'm talking about like normal people. You got to, you got to get that thing off of you because what you, what you see in life is this, is that anybody who harbors unforgiveness, your unforgiveness becomes your prison. So when I say forgiveness is freedom, I'm not talking about the other person's freedom. Although that's somewhat true because you're not taking vengeance on them and you're not trying to punish them and pay them back. I'm not even referring to their freedom. I'm talking about forgiveness is your freedom. That literally when you harbor unforgiveness, you end up in a prison called bitterness. 
And it becomes a part of your personality. If you don't know this, ask somebody, hey, am I coming off kind of bitter lately? If you harbor unforgiveness, it, it slowly kind of soaks into your, your, the fabric of your being and your personality and your soul. And over time, it becomes a part of who you are. You know what else can kick in too? You become, if, if it's deep enough and bad enough, you become a prisoner called depression. You're like, you're stuck in that thing and you got this heavy weight over you. Here, here's the other thing. You're a prisoner of the past. Because everything that reminds you of that offense or that hurt or that event, you go right back to it. You're a prisoner of the past. That's why it's hurting the relationships that you have now because you're not actually present. You're stuck somewhere over there. So you can't fully enjoy and experience people and be in the moment and experiencing God and experiencing others and loving God and loving. Why? You're not even in the, you're not even in the present. You're stuck in the hurt. So you're a prisoner of that. Here's the other thing. This is, this is nuts. What scientists have concluded is this, is that when you live with unforgiveness, it actually shuts down parts of your immune system, making it harder for your body to heal. So now you're in a prison called sickness, physically speaking. And so Jesus comes out with these radical demands that you go and forgive people. And you, if you truly understand why, it's because there's something really, really powerful. It's because ultimately forgiveness is the gift that you give yourself. That's what forgiveness is. It, it, it literally, because the opposite is so true. Whenever we harbor unforgiveness, we feel like, you ever given somebody the cold shoulder? Like, I'm going to get them. They're going to come over and say hi to me. I'm going to give them nothing. Just a You ever like not respond to somebody's text or email? You don't answer their phone calls. You don't return their phone calls. Oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to get them. Most of the time, the person that offended you doesn't even have a clue that you're mad at them. Sometimes we harbor this unforgiveness. And what it is, is this, we end up in these prisons called bitterness and depression and hurt and anger. And then what we don't realize is we actually think we're getting them. We're like, well, I need to let them know they need to pay. So I'm going to get them with my unforgiveness. The only person that done got got is you. You got got. That's why it, I think it was Gandhi that said bitterness is, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. By the way, whenever you don't know who said something, if you just go back to Gandhi, it eventually stops with him. It's Gandhi. It's, it's wise. Uh, anyway. It's so true though. And so Jesus is compelling us. No, you got to, you've got to live in like this. Oh my gosh, I'm hurt. Oh, I got to get this off of me as quickly as I can. I got to get this off of me. And that needs to be at the forefront of your mind. And I'm telling you, this is so true because not only does it, does it sometimes make you a prisoner of the past and depression and anger? Here's another prison that it puts you in. Sometimes you become the offense yourself. I'll prove it to you. Um, some of us have mom issues and dad issues and we're upset at what mom did or didn't do and what dad did or didn't do. And you become so bitter and so judgmental and so angry about the thing that you're angry about that you actually start to become the thing that you hated in your mom or the thing that you hated in your, you ever become it? It's because there's some type of like weird sowing and reaping effect where the very thing that I was angry and bitter at, I somehow became that. I promise you, it just, it just carries with you. There's all these different ways that it affects our life. And so what I encourage you to do is this, is I want you to adopt the belief 
Forgiveness is freedom. So when somebody offends me, my goal is not to get them back, to pay them back. My goal is to get that thing off of me as quickly as I possibly can. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive back into the parable because Jesus gives some brilliant thoughts on how to work this process called forgiveness. Are you ready? Number one is this, is that Jesus refers to the offense as a debt. As a matter of fact, the whole story begins with Peter saying, hey, how often do I have to offend the person that hurts me? And that's why Jesus tells this parable. And so Jesus says, well, all offense is a debt, and offense is a debt that is always paid. Does that make sense? You've got to look at it like that. Somebody owes. It's a debt. All offense, as soon as somebody hurt you, said those things to you, neglected, didn't do whatever it is, it's it's an, it's a debt. It's just like Jesus is using accounting terms, right? You got to think of it like that. And it's always paid. If you if you never understood this, the answer to this question, you ever asked the question, why did Jesus even have to die? It's because offense is a debt that is always paid. The reason, because like if you sin, God can't just take a magic wand and be like, that's forgiven. I'll make it, I'll make it disappear. It doesn't disappear. It's a debt and it has to be paid. So Jesus came because somebody had to absorb the debt. I'll give you, for instance, let's say you come over to my house for small group, and as you come into my house, you hit my fence. I have this fence. It's barely hanging on anyway, but let's say you drive it into the grave, right? And it's it's dead now. You kill my fence. The thing is struggling right now. But anyway, let's say you knock over my fence. Now, because I'm the pastor, I am now obligated to forgive you, right? You're even coming over for small group. I can't be mad at you. So I'm going to say, hey, you know what? Uh, Kent, I'm going to forgive you. I know you ran over my fence, but I love you. I'm just, just don't, don't even worry about it. But, but here's the deal. Somebody's got to pay for the, for the dang fence. So like, even though I forgave him, I have to absorb the debt. And this is part of the painful process many of us go through when we start thinking about forgiveness is because we, at some point we're absorbing part of the debt that somebody put on us. So all offense is a debt and you have to think of it in that way because, because they owe you and, and we'll, we'll get to this in a second, but like you gotta figure out at some point, like what do, what do they owe me? Like what is the debt? What, what do they owe me? Here's another thought that comes from it, the, the parable as well, is there's no comparison of debt. There's none. Remember the talent and the denarii? So I did some math. It's hyperbole. It's meant to be outrageous. So when Jesus said the guy owed him 10,000 bags of gold, it would be the equivalent of saying this guy owed him tens of millions of dollars. This guy was in so much debt, it was ridiculous. He would never be able to work himself out of that. He would be in debt for the rest of it. He, extraordinary debt. But the guy that he went to owed him what? A hundred denarii. It was the equivalent of saying, hey, this guy owes a few hundred bucks, maybe a grand. You owed tens of millions. This guy owed you a few hundred bucks. One of the principles I think that's hidden in here is that there's no comparison of debt. That when Jesus wants you to consider forgiving that person, It's only in light of the fact that Jesus has forgiven you. You're having to forgive a person for maybe one or two or a few things. Jesus has forgiven you of all things. And here's the other thing too. I think it gets hyperbole here. He's saying this. I didn't just forgive your sins. I literally absorbed the sins of humanity. Let me dig this deeper. I actually didn't just absorb the sins of all the people living today, but I actually absorbed all the sins of all the people who have ever lived or who ever will live, and I absorbed it all. And because of that, I want you to know that 
I absorbed an incomparable amount of debt. Many times when you think about the thing that you're upset about, let's be honest, there's some things that are so difficult and so challenging, I would never want to minimize your pain and suffering. But there's a lot of stuff that we get upset and offended and hurt and bitter about, and we're being petty. Never, ever, ever let pettiness, never let a misunderstanding, never let something so uh, raw, because here's the other prison that you live in. Again, You've allowed offense to rob you of your own joy in life and many times over something that's a misunderstanding or something that's that's petty. So remember, there, there is no comparison of debt. Here's another one that we find in Scripture that I believe is just a powerful one to remember so that you understand what forgiveness is. And sometimes it's understanding what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. So never before have I ever said this phrase... Wow, I feel really forgivey today. Have you ever felt that way? I've never felt that way. I've never once said, well, you know, I'm just in a forgiving mood. And I forgive you and I forgive you and I forgive you. I've never done that. I feel like Oprah for a second. You get a car. You get a you forgiveness. I've never felt that way. There's no emotion called forgiveness. You, you can't find that. That's not what it is. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. It's something that you choose to do. It's something that is driven by those fundamental beliefs that says freedom is forgiveness and forgiveness is freedom. I, I gotta get this thing off of me as quickly as I can because I wanna be free. I, I don't wanna live with that. I don't wanna be in my own prison of bitterness and anger and sickness. And all. I, Heck no, I'm out. I want joy. I want to be present. I want to experience God and experience life. I gotta get this unforgiveness off of me. So I'm going to choose to do it. And here's the other misnomer that I probably should have put in the notes. And if you're taking notes, you should write this down. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. It's a process. This is, and you know, this is true. If you're a Christian, you know, you had to forgive. So when that person for, you know, messed you up, hurt you, offended you, talked bad about you, threw you under the bus, you're like, okay, Lord, I forgive them. And you did it with that attitude too, by the way, you were like, all right, Lord, I forgive them. And then the next day you were angry again. And you were bitter again. And then you were like, yeah, but I forgave him. Did you? Because you still sound really angry. You still got that face. You still got no joy. You still kind of bitter. So forgiveness is not this one time thing, right? I forgave him. But you still deep down, you hate him. Because don't you hate how Jesus at the end of the parable, he doesn't say, hey, just forgive him. Like just say it out loud once and it'll be like a, a potion. No, no, no. He goes, forgive them from your heart. Why did you have to make it so difficult? You mean I gotta, it's gotta be down here? I can't just say it? He's gonna go, forgive them from your, from your heart. And so this is the process of forgiveness because what I want you to do is so believe and so have rooted into your mind and so be at the forefront of your brain. Forgiveness is freedom and freedom is forgiveness. As soon as somebody hurts me, I want to pursue and jump into and choose this process of forgiveness. And this is what that process looks like. And so I'll give you this. This is my, uh, my take on forgiveness based on my experience. And I think what the scripture says, number one is this, the process of forgiveness begins only when I remember the mercy that I've received. I got to be honest. If you don't believe in God, you don't believe in Jesus. I mean, try to forgive, go ahead. I would still encourage that, but I don't know why, what the motivation would be. Like, I don't, I don't know, but this is what Ephesians said. Paul wrote this. He said, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. My point is, is that I only forgive because Christ forgave me. That's it. 
That's my, that's, that's my motivating factor. If not, maybe I should be like the punisher, just vengeance, vengeance, and vengeance. Maybe I, that's what I should be like, but no, 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 because Christ has forgiven me. That's what compels me. And so the only thing I do, because I don't want to take your pain and suffering and minimize it. Please, God forbid, please don't hear that this morning. If you have deep pain and suffering, please turn to Jesus and let Jesus begin that healing process. But only forgive, only, only forgive in light of the fact that Christ has forgiven you. Nothing more, nothing. Begin with that. Number two is this, is there is a grace to forgive. I do believe that. I do believe that sometimes the bitterness and the hurt is so deep-rooted that you're like, Todd, in my gut, I can't, I can't do it. And so you're, you, it would be, again, naive of me to say, hey, just start forgiving. Just start throwing it out there like Oprah did. Just, and you get a forgiveness and you get a forgiveness. Don't, I don't think that. Sometimes you just pray, God, I know that freedom is forgiveness. God, I know I need to forgive. God, give me a grace to forgive. A grace that, cause see, there's a grace that forgives, um, you, but there's also a grace that strengthens you. And that's what I'm talking about. God, give me the strength. Give me the grace to forgive them. God, like help me to like muster that up. Be with me. Walk with me. Because see, here's the thing. The next thing you're going to have to do is so difficult. You're going to need the presence and grace of God. And number three is this. You're going to have to realize the debt owed. What that may even mean at the counseling level is that you pull out legal pad and pen and you start writing stuff down. And you start recognizing, you know, you know what they stole from me? He took this from me. He took my sense of self-worth. He took my confidence. He took my, you can go through mom and dad. You can go through wherever you have bitterness in your life. And and here's what you're going to find is that the things that they write down on that paper, they probably couldn't pay you back even if they tried. It's not monetary what they stole from you. Although sometimes that happens. It's something so much deeper, so much more in your soul than that. And so you've got to real, and this can be a painful process because sometimes the stuff that you're bitter about happened 10 and 15 and 20 years ago. And I'm asking you to go over and kick over cans and look for things and, and then maybe even relive things to a certain moment. But I promise you, if you do, it'll be powerful because see, here's the deal. Anytime somebody offends you, you've only got really three options that I can think of. I mean, I think this is it. If you come up with another one, email me. You've got, here's what you can do. Just stuff it. Just stuff it down in there. Just suppress it and repress it and push it down there and try to ignore it and forget about it. But, but, but you end up absorbing it into your soul and into your personality. And again, you live in the prisons of bitterness. And this, I don't, I don't think that's good. Here's another one. Just go punisher. Just go vengeance. Just go, uh, hell hath no fury. You know, just go, hey, I'm going to burn it all down. Even if I'm in it too, I'm going to just all, we're gonna burn it all down. You just go crazy, go angry. You might end up in jail. Um, you're still going to be angry. You're still going to be bitter. You're still going to, so that I don't recommend that or, or there's, or there's this process of healing, this process of forgiveness, this process where you, that's, that's, that's what you got. So, so to me, you got to figure out, do I want to just like stuff it and repress it and bury it and try to just push on or do, do I want to act out and go punish or do I want to like, do I want to work this process of forgiveness? Because for you to work it, you're going to have to go and realize the debt that they owe you and figure out. Now, here's what you do. Once you get that pad and paper, you roll that stuff down, what they owe you and some of it, and it may take time. What you do is this is now you go and you literally cancel the debt. You might say it out loud. You might write it out. You might mark through all the things that they owe you. You're like, literally, I canceled their debt. You don't owe me anymore. And again, it's a process where you 
are literally letting something go. In some ways, you're absorbing it. In some ways, you're just recognizing that they can't pay you back, but you're saying, you know what? You can't, and I don't, you don't owe anymore. Remember, everything was debt and payment. Isn't that what the guy said? You owe a debt, you have to pay. You owe a debt, you have to pay. And what you're saying is, you don't have to pay. You don't owe me anymore. Step number five is this. Um, repeat one through four. Because um, when you do this, this afternoon, tomorrow you may feel angry again. So just start over. And then Tuesday, it may come in the afternoon. It'll be later in the day. But then just repeat steps one through four. And then if you do this over and over, you'll get a break. You'll get like a day off. Your bitterness will literally take the day off. You're like, I'm tired. I'm tired of attacking them. I'm going to take a day off. And then eventually it'll come back and you repeat one through four. And then, and then it'll come back two weeks later. And then a month. And then what it is, is that, is that forgiveness and bitterness and this whole process is almost like a sponge that you have to like wring really, really hard. And have you ever noticed that when you have like a, a really stubborn sponge, you wring it once and a lot comes out and you wring it again, and you're like, there's still more in there. And then you realize, well, I need more hand strength apparently because I'm wringing it and it's still coming out. And that's how forgiveness works. And you just keep working this process and working this process and working this process. And you don't quit because that thing's like a hot potato. It's like a spider. It's like, I got to get this off of me. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to, I don't want to lose my joy. I want to be present, experiencing God and experiencing others in the moment. That's what I want. I want to experience incredible joy. I want to experience abundant life. And you can't do that living in your past. And so step number six is simply this. You bless. That's how you finish. That's how you finish this thing off. That's how you know the sponge is completely dry. You bless. This is what Jesus has the audacity to say. Matthew chapter five. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 44. But I tell you, I got a different way of living. This is not conforming to the world. This is not how the world does it. This is how weird people do it. This is how Christ followers do it. This is how people that live in an abundant, incredible life do it. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So wait a minute. You're telling me, let me get this straight. You're telling me the person that hurt me and offended me, not only do I have to forgive them, but now you want me to like give? Because I already gave them forgiveness. You want me to give them even more? And Jesus says, yes. That's where you find your greatest level of freedom in life. That's how you know the bitterness is gone too. When you can look at that person and actually want God's best for their life, you know, I'm clear. It's gone. It's over. I'm free. Why? Because I can bless them from my heart. Like sincerely, like, I don't even care. I let you, I let you go. And now I bless you. Oh God, does, I, man, whew. that's powerful living right there. That's freedom. That's abundance. That's joy. That's experience. That's being, pre- I'm telling you what, that's not living in a, pre- a prison. That's living the most abundant life possible. And here's something I don't fully understand. Jesus makes this such an issue that the only thing that I can kind of figure is this, is that that, that forgiveness is such a, a pillar of kingdom living that as soon as you remove it, the kingdom falls apart. You can't live in it anymore. That's the only thing I can conclude because he gets to the end of this parable and with all this hyperbole of, of whatever he goes, he goes, Basically, your father in heaven can't forgive you as long as you harbor unforgiveness. That's how crucial this thing is. Like, this is the hinge that the door swings on. This is so crucial that if you, if you told me, Todd, I'm a Christ follower, but there's one thing I can't do is I can't forgive. 
I'm sitting there saying, I don't think you can actually fully follow Christ. There's something so powerful about the grip and hold of unforgiveness and bitterness that it is a chain, it is a ball and chain that prevents you from actually living life and living in the kingdom. It is so crucial that Jesus makes it this big of a deal. There's a story that is incredible about Corey Ten Boom. If you don't know who she is, you can look her up, Wikipedia. Um, that's what your keyboard sounds like. Um, she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. If you don't know her story, it's fascinating. She and her family lived during the Holocaust. And they weren't Jews. They were, um, they lived in the Netherlands, but they lived in an occupied area. And they had a Jewish friend that they helped escape from the, you know, the police that were trying to round up all the Jews. And then another person heard that they helped them escape and they came and then, and then another and then another and then they were like building hiding places, the name of the book, hiding places in their house and keeping people. And so they were, they were literally feeding and clothing and taking care of and then helping. They had created like an underground railroad for Jews to escape um, Nazi uh, imprisonment. And throughout this process, eventually they, their family got caught. And because they got caught, they got put into a concentration camp. And just after a few days of being there, the father died. And Corey's like a teenager, I think. And then eventually her sister dies. Now this is when her sister dies, her sister says something so powerful. These are Christian people that believed in God and were trying to help people. And, and her sister said something so powerful the day before she died. She told her sister, Corey, she goes, there is not a pit so deep that God is not deeper himself. You're like, dang, that's deep. So the story continues, and it's, what's crazy is, is that she gets let out of this concentration camp on like a paperwork technicality mistake. And just a few days later, the people that were in that girl's camp were all killed. Um, after this, Corrie ten Boom, of course, after the war ends, she starts speaking and writing and traveling and as she's speaking and writing, she ends up in Munich, Germany, doing a uh, a speech at a church. She's talking to a church. She's talking about her experience and her family of family of watchmakers that turned into these, you know, these freedom fighters. I mean, just an incredible story. And she goes, I looked up in the middle of my sermon about forgiveness, and I saw him. It was one of the prisoners from the camp, it was called Ravensbrück, was one of the concentration camps. And she goes, I saw his face and I knew who he was. And here I am talking about forgiveness and how God can forgive anyone. And she goes, then what made it worse was he came up to me at the end of service. And he said, I want you to know that I did so many terrible and evil and awful things, but after the war, I turned to Christ and I've asked for his forgiveness but I heard you say that you were in Ravensbrook and I was a guard at Ravensbrook. And it would mean the world to me if you would tell me to and encourage me that I am indeed forgiven. And he stuck his hand out. And she said, I couldn't. I, I, I was frozen. This is what she said. She goes, I stood there. I whose sins had again and again be, been forgiven and I could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but it seemed to me hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. It was simple and as horrible as that. And as I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, and so woodenly and mechanically I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. 
The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried. I forgive you with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did right then. You want to live a transformed life? Not like everybody else. Not how the world does it. Not conforming to the way culture does it. But living a transformed life? Living God's abundance? Living in God's freedom? Living in God's best? Living in, in the present? You want to do that? Then in the, in the depths of your heart, you'd recognize that freedom is forgiveness and forgiveness is freedom. And it's not just in your heart, but then it's in your mind. And it drives all of your decision-making process. And then all of a sudden, as soon as hurt starts to come your way, you're like, Ooh, I got to get that off of me because freedom is forgiveness and forgiveness is forgiveness. I got to get this off of me. And you start working this process and you live that way. You live your whole life that way to the greatest of your ability by the grace of God, by the mercy that he's given you. You say, I choose to forgive others. And this might be your prayer if you're taking notes. Heavenly Father, I realize today that forgiveness is freedom. Please give me the grace to forgive. God, I cancel their debt. They don't owe me anymore. And thank you for giving for forgiving my sin so that I can forgive others. Let's pray today. Jesus, you have asked a hard thing of us. But you also deemed it necessary. For the kingdom to function, I must adopt this. And so God, help me to buy it and to believe it, to own it, and to be convinced of it. That God, forgiveness is freedom. And help me to live a life looking to forgive And eventually even looking to bless. So Lord, would you help me to be a person that has so received your grace. That is so aware of your mercy. That is so embracing your kindness towards me. God, would you help me to give that away? Would you help me to look at other people and to cancel their debt? And in doing so, escape my own prison. Lord, that is my prayer today. In Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap today? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at mbchurch.tv.